I just spent the last month in Scotland. By far, the biggest teaching moment, the biggest lesson I learned, the biggest aha moment. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another Heart Train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. I got Matt Cermak with me. What's up, Ev? It's great to be back. It's great to see you coming to you live from what town in Italy, Ev? Where are you? Tell the listeners. I'm in Priano, Italy right now, which is by on the Amalfi Coast. I have a side table push up against a window. My computer's on a trash can, and I've got the chair right here just so that I can get some Italian sunlight on my face, and you can actually wow. see me on the video portion. Because guess what, guys? We have a YouTube channel. Check it out. But in case you guys are new, Welcome aboard the par train. In case you've been riding the struggle bus, you come in the right place. We help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again, because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We unpack the mental game with anyone from a PGA Tour pro to a sports psychologist to a golfer like you and me. And that's what today is all about. We're unpacking my month in Scotland, where I went, what I liked, what I didn't, what I learned. We are just saying for our YouTube intro... I think this episode we've been looking forward to. I know I have yeah. a lot because it's fun to talk bucket list trips, but also unpacking the things that can help me become a better player. And hopefully you guys too, when wherever you play, whether it's Scotland, California, Chicago, et cetera. But before we get to this episode, first, we got to talk about our friends at Roback. Okay. Did you, you got, so we haven't talked about this since Yeah. you had your bachelor party. It killed my soul that I couldn't be there, but I was there in spirit. I saw you in the pictures. You're wearing your crew neck for the first time. They finally introduced the crew neck sweatshirt, which you know is my favorite garment. It's yeah. so underrated. So versatile. What are they like? I haven't gotten mine yet. Yeah. And I think I, I said, am I going to get the crew neck? And I'm not, I did. I went a size up Ev. I went to a, oh, you did. I, I'm, I'm usually a medium. So for listeners here, I went to a large for the crew neck. I like a little room when I'm playing golf, right? A little extra room. And we had some cold, we had some cold days. We played on the bachelor party and it was awesome. Ev. I wore it right over the polo and yeah. it's warm. It's warm. Is it? And even going with a little bigger, it feels very fitted too. So like, so I'm it's a huge warmer fan. than the hoodie. War it's warmer than the hoodie. And I'm, I know the hoodie's popular out there. I'm not really a hoodie guy in the course. I think this is the perfect substitute for me. And I'll take it a step further. The rowback pants, the golf pants. You tried them on? I was wearing them too. So oh, I had. Tell me I, about I, them. I haven't tried them yet. <laughs> I, so I got a pair of the pants. I got the Navy. Awesome. Natural size in the waist. Length perfect. Not baggy at all. And really really comfortable so really okay really... this isn't bs guys i really am this excited because i've been wanting rowback to introduce their pants for years we've talked to them about this yeah. for years is it like a lulu pant is it thick is it light how stretchy is it it's like a lulu pant yeah okay it absolutely is like a lulu pant um, better you know it's a good question ev these are some of the best pants i've worn in a long time and to, for me to be true to size without even trying them on yeah. Was totally blown away. They kind of had that little, they kind of had that little traveler kind of jean pocket going on, like kind of oh, a big okay. pocket. So gives you that trendy look that we love in the modern. And they got zippers, era. which is big. Yeah. No, they got some hidden zippers. Totally a huge fan. I'm going to get a couple more pair, especially if I want to play golf in the winter here in Chicago. If I want to sneak out there on a 40 degree day, oh, they're, they're my awesome. God, I'm so excited now. Yeah. So, so this was fully endorsed. 
<laughs> okay, love it. Well, go to rowback.com, enter the code train, get 15% off. And I think our code, yeah, yeah, train 15% off. Let me know what you guys think. You our DMs are open. Send us a DM at the par train at Matt Terms or at Esinger7. Let us know what you guys think. Really about anything, not just rowback. So thank you to Roback as always. Should we dive in? I think we should. That's what this is about. We're diving into your travels, to your time. And what were we as- what were we saying off air, Sam? I think this is the perfect form, right? Because you haven't been to Scotland. Correct. And so I love that we're doing this together because you're going to ask me what a listener is wondering. Yep. And you're going to guide this conversation as we dig into the aha moments and all of the mistakes that I've made while also diving into the magical moments and what this, because you know this, I've dreamed of living in Scotland for a month since I can remember. Like I've always dreamed of living somewhere abroad and I always knew St. Andrews would probably be the place I would do it. And so for my wife and I to do this, it's really been a dream come true. So hopefully we hit on all of it, but I'm the passenger you're driving and let me know where you want to start. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I've, and folks, just so you know, I've been in Italy the last week and he's, he's eaten too much pasta and pizza. So we got to go easy on him today in this episode. Too much pasta, too Guys. much pizza. It's it's a tough life over on the Amalfi Coast. So <laughs> please support Ev through this difficult time. Support me because car brain <laughs> is real. And you guys think it sounds fun. And trust me, it is. But when you start throwing back some linguinis and spaghetti and pepperoni pizza on his throat, they're forcing twice <laughs> a day. Just wait until what happens to uh, the love handles and the brain a little bit. Okay. I'm oh. not complaining. Oh, I'm grinding. Wow. No, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. But from fish um, and chips to Guinness to, uh, yeah, it's quite the change, quite the change (laughs) from Scotland (laughs) and Ireland, but I am here to answer. He's here folks. He made it to the episode. We're going to dive in. So I think what's really cool. I mean, you've done something you've always wanted to do. Like you said, um, I think I want to dive in a little bit to the nine courses you played. Um, like you said, there's some, you played a ton, there's more to play, but like you're playing some of the most special golf courses really in the world, right? From yeah. St. Andrews to Dornick to North Berwick um, to Dunbar. So maybe talk about, you know, really how the list came together and a, a, a couple that you were so pumped to play and yeah. a couple surprises. So talk about that because yeah, that's a when good people question think about Scotland it's like, well, where do I, well, it's, there's so much. And there's so that's all the thing. amazing. So go ahead. That's so this is actually a great place to start because what a lot of people are going to experience is exactly what I experienced. And crazy enough, this is my third time to Scotland. Right. I went when I was 22 with our mutual best buddy, Ryan and my buddy, Greg, we were What's backpacking up, through Europe right okay. after college staying in $10 hostels. We heard the open was at St. Andrews in 2010 when Louis stays in one and nobody knew who he was. And so we flew up for two days in St. Andrews. I absolutely fell in love, but because we were there for the open, I couldn't play. So I was itching to get back. And then I had a month in between jobs in 2015 and I went by myself for four days. I've told the story on our social channels. People probably heard it. So every time I had gone, I had been itching to be there longer. Right. So now I've got, I'm committing. I've got 30 days. Even after being there for my third time, you'd think I would know 
oh, I know exactly where to stay. I know exactly what to do. I know exactly where to play. It is so overwhelming for anyone. So I hope that this episode helps guide the starting point for people because it is so overwhelming. You don't know where to start. You don't know what courses to pick. And so a big shout out to the par train passengers out there. They were a huge part of, especially the locals in the UK, huge way that I narrowed it down. I read Tom Coyne's book, A Course in Scotland, which we've had on the podcast and he's talked about that. Yep. That was huge to understand the context. You know, he made little lists. So if you go to the back of Tom Coyne's book, A Course Called Scotland, he actually has like, it's really cool, like eight different lists, like my my peak, my top of the top courses, the can't misses, the overrateds, right? And so I kind of use that as a starting point. I went to the different courses of the top of the top. I read the chapters. I got some context as to what he loved about it, what he didn't. I use the lists and the comments from you guys at our on our Instagram and Twitter at the par train to get, hey, like if you could only play four rounds or the one round that nobody's talking about, like what are those can't miss hidden gems, right? And thank God for for them because some of my favorite rounds were the courses you don't hear about. And so that really helped. And then I also, you know, I think it's important to message people. I asked a lot of questions. I talked to Oliver Horovitz, who we've had on the show three times, who wrote American Caddy and St. Andrew's book, which is one of my favorite books. If you're going to go to St. Andrew's, you have to read that book as well. It just captures the magic of the town, especially for an American. But with all that being said, still, I was told that I made a little bit of a mistake going in. I talked to Rue McDonald, who years ago had a, a Scottish travel podcast. He now works for the DP World Tour. So I had a Zoom with him and he was helpful in the sense that I had 15-ish rounds planned in 30 days. Now you'd say, oh, that doesn't sound crazy. It's every other day. It's not like I'm playing 36 a day, but you got to remember I'm working remotely while I'm here. I'm here with Tara, my wife, and a big part of it is creating experience together. And it's a lot to walk 18 holes in these conditions, drive an hour plus on the other side of the road, by the way, and yeah. get back and have the energy to not wear yourself down and still get work done and be on calls and meetings, you know, into the evening. So the first thing he told me was, Hey man. And I think Oliver Horvitz told us the same thing. The first time we talked to him, he said the biggest mistake Americans or new travelers make to Scotland is they go for five days, they play 36 holes a day, and it's too much golf and you wear yourself down, right? It's hard to say that to people because it's like, well, I may not go back. So I, I want to get right. it in, but it is a lot. So the first thing I did before I arrived was I basically cut my list in like by 60. I, I, may, I maybe cut 30% of it. And he's yeah. like, I think you're biting off more than you can chew. He basically told me, Nick's the West Coast, even though a lot of people say the West Coast is better than the East Coast, where St. Andrews is. Um, but just traversing the country that way um, was tough. And we also stayed in town instead of going on trips every weekend because the Dunhill links was in town, which is the basically the AT&T Pro-Am in Europe, which is Carnoustie, Kings Barnes, and St. Andrews, where celebrities play and the town kind of comes alive. So he's like, you got to be in St. Andrews for that, which we did, which was great. 
And then the Ryder Cup was happening, and I thought I could be in Edinburgh and watch in bars. And he's like, nope, golf isn't as big there. You need to be in St. Andrews to watch among all the golf fans. So I did that. So I only traveled two weekends of the four weeks. And so keep that in mind, those drives and figuring that out. So let me walk you through my ranking. You probably saw I posted this on Instagram and Twitter yesterday. This is the top nine. Right. This is my top nine. So some people got confused. I'm not ranking every course in Scotland of my top nine. These are the nine courses I played because I actually got terribly sick. Probably the worst head cold I've ever gotten. My head looked like it was on a balloon in the clouds. He goes from the L.A. sun to the the gloomy, windy weather. Tough adjustment. Get Get knocked out. We got through it, though. Okay, About a week, week and a half. I had probably three rounds there that I had to cancel. And then a huge storm cyclone came in and canceled a couple courses there. So I was probably supposed to play around 14 or maybe no, probably 12 or 13. And I ended up playing nine. So this is my ranking. I mean, this is great. Nine holes, nine rounds, right? Tell me if I'm I'm rambling too much. Okay. This is it. The front nine. This is the top nine in order. Okay. Best to last. Old Course of St. Andrews. Do you want me to read my descriptions real quick? Would that be helpful? It's like a two-sentence description for each one. Okay. Number one, Old Course of St. Andrews. The most magical place in the world. Nothing beats the town of St. Andrews getting closer and closer as you play the back nine. There really is nothing like it. It's incredible. Number two, this was one of the biggest surprises. Dunmar. Knew nothing about it. It was our last round. It was one of those unknown, not unknown, but underrated, less talked about you know, small town, the most fun start I've maybe ever played of any course. It's back-to-back par fives, a downhill par three with the clubhouse directly left of the green, the ocean straight ahead, another hut to the right, perfectly framed, but also kind of scary of a shot. And then Mm -hmm. you cross over the wall to a, you start to hit the coast on, on a short par four. That's the start. You were just sucked um, in immediately, right? Just and like, then you ride yeah. this ancient wall throughout the whole front nine with bells and lookouts and ladders and burns. And it's like an incredibly magic, fun course. Dunbar is a must play. Number three, North Barrick. I love quirky courses. And this town basically felt like a mini St. Andrews. You play back to the town, drivable four to end it. It's really fun, amazing, great vibe. Now, number four is a perfect example of thanks to the par train passengers because Ely, I had never heard of, and the mo- it was one of the most commonly commented courses of all my uh, the folks in the UK. I played Ely alone, and not knowing anything about it, it's very unassuming. It's a little hut. It's a gravel parking lot. You walk in. And it was the most poetic masterpiece going up and down the water, these cliffs, these blind shots, it goes downhill. The ocean gets revealed. Some of the most fun holes I've ever played at a place that's so unassuming. It was by far the most spiritual experience I had in Scotland was at Ely. Number four, Cruden Bay is probably the most unique course I played. What a cool, cool, cool name for a course too. You know, just yeah, absolutely. Also, I should sounds, probably say as I'm going through beautiful. these, obviously I'm staying in St. Andrews. So it was like a 10 minute walk 
there. Dunbar, I think, is about 45 minutes from drive from St. Andrews. North Barrick, same thing. They're very close. So if you're going to do 36, Dunbar and North Barrick would be the most epic day ever. Ely is about 40 minutes as well, but separate area than North Barrick and Dunbar. Cruden Bay is about an hour and a half to two hours, the longest drive that I made. But Cruden Bay was Tom Coyne's like number two course. And so I was like, I have to play Cruden Bay. Probably the most unique course. It reminded me of what I've seen in Ireland. I haven't played golf in Ireland, but you know, Ireland's got those humongous dunes. Yep. That's what Cruden Bay is like. So when you play a lot of Lynx golf in Scotland, sometimes they can start to blend together because they're all just, they're all amazing, but it's similar style yep. golf, right? Cruden Bay does not blend in. A lot of Humongous blind shots. Dunes, a lot of blind shots, but yeah. epic, very quirky. Like I had a I had a par three with a dog leg over a green, <laughs> over a hump. Wow. Over a dune. Like wow. the only dog yeah. leg par three I've ever played in my life. Um, and I played with three members that have been members for 30 years and they treated me like family. So that was really special. Kings Barnes, number six. Kings Barnes is 15 minute drive from St. Andrews. It's basically the Pebble Beach of Scotland. It gets a bad rap because it's modern. It's built in the 2000s and it's super pricey. It's probably 400 pounds. So about 550, 500 bucks. But I think it's better than Pebble. And wow. there's not a one bad hole. So, and that's where they play the Dunhill. So I highly recommend Kings Barnes. Royal Dornick, this is probably the most controversial. One on the, um, and sorry, Royal Dornick was the longest drive, not Cruden Bay. Uh, Royal Dornick's about a three, three and a half hour drive. It was the course that inspired Bannon Dunes for Mike Kaiser, actually, because Mike Kaiser went to Royal Dornick and saw buses of Americans get shuttled in. And he's like, this is three and a half hours, four hours from Edinburgh, the nearest major airport, and people are coming. And that gave him the idea that as long as you have great land, people will come, Right. I think Royal Dornick is ranked number three in the world in some rankings. It's most people's favorite course if they've played it. Granted, when you go into a course like that, expectations are sky high, right? And the only reason it's number seven for me is, and by the way, it plays up on a cliff and then down in a valley, and it just kind of goes <laughs> up and down, up and down. It's super cool. The only reason it's number seven for me is other places I got kind of a a greater feeling at now, maybe that sure. was me, right? Like we kind of had a long drive. We had this snafu with a bridge being closed. Maybe I just wasn't in the best mood. Like I wasn't hitting it great. So you never know. It's an unbelievable course, like number seven, it. but it's, it's unbelievable. You, it's, it's most people's favorite. Um, always, for me, always I'm, coined is like going to the other end of the earth, you know, yeah, that course. 100%. You did it. Yeah. And I saw people playing with their dogs. Number three ranked in the world, and people are playing with their dogs. Crazy. Number eight is Crail. Crail is about 25 minutes, I think, from St. Andrews. Unbelievably special. You got to watch the video of, oh, shit, what's his name? Huge YouTuber from the UK. Rick, Rick, Rick Shields. Rick Shields did an amazing video at Crail. I watched it before I played. Highly recommend it. Don't let the number eight ranking fool you about Crail. It's fun, challenging, and rich in history. I was invited by a guy named Kieran, who's a follower of the show, and he's a member. And so it was just me and him, and we had a blast so, together. And honestly, it made me want to do that more. It made me want to play with our passengers, fellow passengers more, because 
it was really cool to yeah. get to know him. It's and, the best. Yeah, it was really fun. And then the last but not least, Golan, number one course, it was the home of the Scottish Open when Ricky Fowler won it. I think in 2015, the Scottish Open has now moved to a different course, but Golan masters somehow the the combo of simple and and dramatic like it's very unassuming straightforward yet it still has these crazy big drops and going up and you go to the ocean you leave it and the fact that gullen is number nine of nine is crazy because it's world class and we had a blast like for example there's a whole I think 17 it's th- 400 yards and he says hit six iron and it rolls all the way down the hill. And I I was like, come on, man, just let me hit driver. He's like, fine, hit driver. And I hit it in the shit long and made a worse number than the guy that hit six iron. So it's that type of stuff, right? But that's how good Scottish golf is. So St. Andrews, Dunbar, North Berwick, Ely, Cruden Bay, Kingsbarns, Royal Dornick, Crail, Gullen. I think Gullen was, I think, about 30 to 40 minutes. So when you think about that, most courses – Living in St. Andrews is less, 40 minutes or less. Cruden Bay, two hours. Royal Dornick, three and a half. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Now, I just went through a ton. Yeah, that's that's a great breakdown, Ev. One, before, I know we want to dig into a little bit about the courses, how you played, what you learned. But I think what's on everybody's mind is, if you had, out of this top nine, tell me the two courses that have the best the coolest coastal views because you know we know st andrews is the home of golf and you've got to go right and it's got great views but what's the two because people love to pick their golf courses that way myself included like we're you know we talk about well tory pine south right is better than the north but the north has better views so you got so tell us out of the top nine where you're going to get the most magical coastal views if you had to pick that's a good question well, Kings Barnes is probably the best ocean views. Um, you pretty much get it the entire time, and they're epic. So just all round, pretty. Oh just- yeah, all round. It's that's why sometimes it gets a bad rap because you know I think classic Scottish links is kind of out and back, right? Right. So you get some inland, like St Andrews doesn't actually have that many coastal views, but that gets outmatched by the view of the town. Sure. And the history and the, and and the magic there. So I would say Kings Barnes. And then the crazy thing is so many of the rest of them have it too. I'd say Ely, Ely and Crail. Crail looked like I, uh, some of the footage you had it looked incredible. I mean, they all yeah. do, but something special there. Something about the landscape too. Seems very playable out there. Yeah. Yeah. So playable plus the views can be like, wow, you could have the greatest day of your life. <laughs> well, still 40 mile per hour crosswind. Well, but, sure. We know, but in, in terms yeah. of maybe some of the course setup a little bit. Yeah. 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 And by the way, let the ego go. We'll get to this stuff, but I'll just throw it in now. Let the ego go in regards to the tees you play and the yardage you're playing because it doesn't matter. 600 to a thousand yards are going to get added because of wind and temperature and rain and all that stuff. So, all right. So, Corral and Ely, according to Evan, in his top nine, front nine, best coastal views. Put that in your pocket, guys, when you're going yep. out to Scotland. If you're doing this rotation, yeah. 
All right, Ev. So let's let's dig into how you played a little bit, what you experienced. Like I said, third time playing in Scotland, nine rounds, the majority tough conditions like you would expect. But I'm sure you would say, yeah, you know, it's going to be windy. You know, it could be rainy, but like that's probably more than you think. <laughs> yeah. I guess we can kind of work back. Talk about maybe your first couple rounds, where the rounds were at, what your expectations were going in, balancing fun versus, well, we all want to play pretty well. And, you know, my goal is to listen to these caddies and, and try to just get the hang of this sort of golf right. at some point. Right. Um, so, yeah, dig in, Ev. Yeah, so I'll set a little bit of context. You guys, I, I don't know if I've talked about it in a great detail, but going into the trip, I flew to see Brett McCabe. Mm, a reconnaissance mission. <laughs> yeah, because I... To Alabama, guys, across the country. Yeah, to Birmingham from L.A., thinking that I had the yips, full swing yips, and then... I'm not going to tell you what happened in that in that trip because we're it's taking longer than we wanted, but we're working through the video. I'm going to share that. And it's a podcast that we're going to share soon. So I won't spoil that. But shortly after that trip, I went to see Rick Sessinghouse in LA, who's Lovely. Colin Markawa's coach. College just Colin just won again for a sixth time. But I yeah, went to get a swing lesson from him. And like can happen at after so many swing lessons, is you leave and you're like, I can't really hit the ball. I feel like I'm starting over, right? If it, if it feels super new, and that's how I was. So to me, I saw this trip as the ultimate test of what we talk about on this show, right? I felt a bit of a personal pressure that I was putting on myself, rightfully or wrongfully so, who knows, but I didn't want to let our fellow passengers down. I don't want to let you down and you'd be like, what are you talking about? And I'd be like, well, I know how, how once in a lifetime this month was. And my biggest fear was to go there and not be able to get it around the course, not enjoy it and feel like all that time, all that money, all that anticipation would be wasted. And I feel like I'd be doing all of you a disservice if I didn't soak it in, if I didn't enjoy it. So to me, this was the ultimate test. I had the expectation of a bucket list trip. Every course is world-class. I may never play them again. It's costing a lot of money to be there. Every round is not cheap. I'd say on average, 150 to 250 pounds, which is you know around 200 to $300, depending on what course it is probably 150 to 300 US dollars on average, I'd say. And so the trip to be there, right? I'm playing with people that might've followed us before. I'm capturing content. And, you know, frankly, to be honest with you, Sarm, I kind of secretly, I didn't realize it till the end of the trip, but I kind of wanted to unlock something. I kind of wanted to like, have an have a breakthrough aha uh -huh. have a breakthrough figure something out understand connect with the magic of the game understand a part of my game let the elements make me a better player learn something i didn't know like right and so sure. all of that going in with the way i was hitting it was the ultimate test because i basically had to commit 
to an intention of, hey, no expectations. I'm not hitting it good. And you know what it's like to play in windy conditions. When you're playing in 40-mile-per-hour wind, the only thing you really do need is to hit a solid shot because otherwise the wind's going to take it and God knows where it's going to take it. A lot of time in very high fescue, the ocean, the beach, wherever, pot bunkers. And so I had to basically challenge myself to say, all right, this is going to be the biggest mental test and, and honor and privilege ever. Can I let go of my ego and can I embrace whatever score I, I shoot, whatever bad shots I hit, whatever opinions people that I'm playing with might have, even my, my own opinions, and just play? That was yeah. the test. You know, I will say before we dig into the things I did wrong and some of my my aha moments that I did get, I will say I am very proud of myself because well, that's the good. way the way that I was hitting it going into the trip. You wouldn't know that by my scores, but I was hitting it more solid than I had the year previously. So I did kind of conquer a bit of a demon there where I didn't necessarily fold or get intimidated where I wasn't in the round, you know, like I, I didn't feel out of the round. I definitely had plenty of frustrating moments every round, a lot of the rounds, but it wasn't as much about my ability. It was more about, you know, the challenging conditions, the, trying to figure out the courses. So I was actually really proud with the way I was, I was compressing it again. That's really the best way to sum it up. That's I great. was starting to compress it again. Even though the driver was all over, I was starting to compress it again. I was proud of that. No, I mean, I think that's great. I mean, and like you said, it's, it's, it's a premium to play and good golf anywhere, but to do it in, in very windy, cloudy, rainy conditions, it feels even better. Right. Cause yeah. it's like, that's all you can take. You did have a good round near the start of the trip. I think it was at 82. You had it. Was that, is that at Ely? At Ely. It was at Ely. I think um, it was an 81. So maybe, maybe touch on that round a little bit. Cause it was earlier in the trip, right? My second and so to touch a little bit on the 82 and what felt like was clicking out there in Scottish linksy golf or like clearly there were some great moments that day, you know, so, so, so dig into that. Yeah. That was one of my best driving days. It's so funny. We talk about this a lot, but every hole was a surprise. Every hole. I, I wasn't expecting anything. I'm like, I know nothing about this place. I did no research going in, which sometimes can actually be a good thing, I think. Because like Dornick was the opposite. Like I had all these expectations. Yeah. And Ev, let's let's yeah. let's touch on that for a second. Did you have a for the listeners, did you have a caddy almost every round? Actually, very little. Very little. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to but um, you were paired up with either a part train passenger, yeah, yeah. Some sort of local, yeah. Somebody who That's plays why. the course who could say Hey, you got to hit it here, right? Kind That's of why. Okay. That's why. And I went to Ely by myself and I asked the starter, I said, you know, a lot of links course, do I need someone out there? He goes, no, it's very right in front of you. Yeah. yeah. If it's blind, there's the poles that are, yep. give you a, an alignment there. So it's all pretty much in front of you. I went out at like two o'clock and nobody was out there. And so 
again, I wasn't expecting anything. And the first few holes are very like not pedestrian, but they're pretty straight away. They're not going to wow you. Felt it's like kind of easing you, you like in. You easing, yeah, exactly. Um, and then once you hit like hole three and four, that's when the like the crescendo happens. And I'm walking up this hill and out of nowhere, it, it goes straight down to the water. And there's these like crazy epic cliffs and the bell and these like oil mining things in the middle of the ocean and the the sky's kind of dark but the sun's shining through and so i guess one thing was i was present right i was kind of well the, no the round was unfolding not really worried about maybe course setup and i wasn't with anyone what with anybody and it was my only round alone so maybe some of the easier holes happened to be at the start compared to later. And that gave you a moment to breathe and to perform. Yeah. So I was alone. I was kind of taking it in. I was very present. I was wowed by my surroundings. We talk about that a lot, kind of, instead of getting out of your, your internal chatter, you have to be able to observe what's around you with gratitude. And I absolutely was, that's why I say it was my most spiritual round. Cause I was truly like in awe. I was in awe where that the funny thing is when you think about almost every other round I played, the word would be disoriented. I wasn't disoriented at Ely. I was very much more at ease at Ely. And so, yeah, I think I was, I was starting to get some confidence with the driver. It's a little bit more open. I was trying, I was letting it rip. I still definitely had my fair misses, but I think I was just, I was very present. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you were present from the start of the round and that kind of just really influenced your decision-making shot selection, you know, letting go of the bad swings and onto the, onto the next swings. And you yeah. played a really good, you played a really good round. Um, now, before we get to more, I will say the coolest thing, what was fun was after each round, I'm walking, obviously looking at my, my whoop stats after walking 18 holes in up and down hills in the elements, it shows my stress too. So it was fun to look at my first tee sure. stress versus like moments coming down the stretch. Um, like I made a 25, 30 foot putt on at the 18th at Ely to make par. And this guy was driving by out of the parking lot. And he started going like pumping his fist and it was a magical moment, but my stress was high on 18. It was, it kind of blew me away. Um, well, there's a wind a rainbow outside my window right now. Oh, um, there, it kind of blew me away by how good for you golf is. Like mm. I've done some pretty in Edinburgh. I did like an hour long F 45 class that was cardio. And that was like a nine strain. When I walk 18 holes in Scotland, it was like a 14. Um, and I've even seen that at driving range too. I get like a nine strain from that. So to me, that was cool to see like, hey, this isn't just like a hobby. This is actually good for me. You well, know, you're, the, what's so great about the whoop and the data it's presenting you is you're getting your best workout maybe ever on the golf course, right? From a physical aspect, the hills, mental. the wind, the rain. So you're, and you're walking all the time, which is amazing. Then throw in how it quantifies and tracks heartbeat, stress, you know, and then it's the ultimate balance as a golfer, right? It's one thing to have a flat course on a sunny day 
might get stressed out over a putt or over, you know, win some money against your friends, but then throw in the elements that probably yeah. really has given you a lot. And like, like a hope it kind of create a program based off that. Yeah. And this is genuine guys. Like I know you think, Oh, he's throwing in an ad here, but no, like I, I was genuinely so excited to be able to look back and see where I got stressed and how many calories I burned, what my heart rate was and what my strain was on days that I golf versus not. So we got a, an awesome partnership with whoop. You can actually get a whoop for free for a month. You don't have to pay anything. And if you don't like it, you send it back. So join.whoop.com slash par train. You get a free month. Definitely take advantage of that. Um, cause it's the best deal they're offering right now through us. So, all right, let's keep going. I want to talk to you about by far, maybe this will be the title of the episode by far the biggest teaching moment, the biggest lesson I learned, the biggest aha moment. I didn't have the, like, I've broken through, I've become a better player. I know the meaning of the game because of my time in St. Andrews. I definitely understand that more, but the biggest lesson that I had is how important commitment is and how detrimental lack of commitment is. We've talked about it on the show many times, but Scotland for me, I'm going to break down for you guys exactly what I did wrong. And when I walk you through this, sir, you're going to say, well, you had no chance, right? But the funny thing is you might think I had an excuse for all this because of everything I'm going to list out, but it's just going to be so, I, I hope it's going to be so eye-opening for all of our, our passengers back home, wherever you play, because it's so clear now as to why I shot in the high eighties in so many rounds because of this. So let me break it down for you. Okay. Is there anything else you want to get to before I go to this? Well, I think you should add in what I liked in our notes that you put uh, changing par because oh, yeah. that is actually, that's a great note. And that you, I think you're going to lay this out, but you would have thought differently if you would have had that in your mind and you would have it's acted so true. and played differently out there. So yeah, I was, let, I was on a, that in. yeah, let me start with that. Good point. I, I, I was talking to a guy who works in the industry on a work call. He's played all over the world. He's a three handicap. And I told him, I forget where I played that day. I think I maybe played Crail that day. Maybe I shot like an 87 or 86 or something, maybe an 88, who knows. And it was in 40, 30 mile per hour crosswind. I was telling him about it. He goes, whoa, you shot. That's not, that's a pretty good score actually in 40 mile per hour wins. And I always knew you have to give yourself grace in the conditions, but I didn't explicitly think about like, again, I, I was trying not to have expectations, but of course, like after a while you keep shooting in the high eighties and your handicap keeps going up. You're like, well, shit, you know, I didn't think I was playing that bad, but again, the par isn't 72 here, you know, with those types of conditions, the par might've been 76. Well, right. You know, I mean, might've been higher. If you're playing good Ev, on a normal day, 80, 81, that amp the wind up by 30 miles per hour. Okay. Yeah. 87, 88. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So that's a good point. Like you got to kind of give yourself grace and change the par because you can't, it's apples to oranges. You can't rate good or bad. You should never do that. But 
it's it's normal to you can't rate yourself good or bad based on your score because it's just really difficult. It's really hard to hit a golf ball in 40 mile per hour winds. It just is. Just is. Turns out. <laughs> yeah. Turns out. So let me, that's a good caveat. Let me walk you through everything that was going on. Okay. And why I think disoriented is the best word. I was trying to think of the word last night. It finally hit me. It, I was disoriented for a month on the course. These are all the factors. Okay. I didn't, every course I played other than I I played Kings Barnes and St. Andrews before, but that was in 2015. I don't remember where I'm going, right? A lot of it's blind. The caddy's telling you something, you believe them or you don't, right? So let's just assume these are all new for me. I don't really know where I'm going on any course, on any hole. Like, yeah, like there are some that are pretty straight away. But it's still very tough to commit because I'm looking at a blind post. I don't know that, like, for example, Golan is a perfect example. He said, hit left of that post that's on the right side of the fairway. I hit it right of the post. Over the hill, I'm thinking, oh, it's just a little bit higher grass. I'm probably okay. I didn't know that that meant you probably won't find it, right? And so that's one. I, I'm not really having very clear direction in my brain of where to go on a lot of tee shots and going into greens, et cetera. I'm trying not to slow down members, caddies, people I'm playing with by asking too many questions, right? So I'm kind of just accepting that I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants. And now I think that's a mistake, actually. I think a lot of people make that mistake at a bucket list place because you don't want to step on toes and you're a guest and you just kind of want to like blend in a little bit, yeah. but it's better to take an extra 20 seconds and get clarity than play slower because you're looking for your ball all the time. You're not sure where to go. You're shooting higher scores. You're hitting more misses. Like I could have been more diligent on yeah. asking where I need to go. I mean, my advice on that, Ev, is uh, it's mostly off the tee, right? Is when the conversation is had with your playing competitors is what's the ideal shot? So what's the ideal line and distance? And then where do I have to miss it? That's yeah. it. Not yeah. what's over there, what's over here. Just right. what's the perfect shot? And then where, where do I got to miss it? If I don't hit the perfect right. shot, which we don't hit perfect shots in bad yep. weather. <laughs> so, yep. Totally. So that's two. Three, I'm trying to gauge slope. A lot of these courses have dramatic drops, right? So I've got huge second, elevation change. You're talking about second shot specifically, Ev? I mean, obviously everywhere, but like it really matters on the second yeah. shot, right? Yeah, a lot of second shot. Yeah. Right. But also tee shots too, but probably second yeah. shots. So I'm gauging slope 30 to 40 mile power winds, pretty common stock shots versus so what I'm comfortable with versus what the shot calls for. Something I rarely do was laughably difficult. Yeah, okay. I said that in the, the notes. Yeah. So that really was tough. I thought that would get easier 
as it would go on, it was continuously difficult because to me, if you do nothing else from the mental game, sticking to the thing you feel good about is probably the number one thing to do. Meaning hit a knockdown, hit a shot you're comfortable with hitting a fairway, like just hit the shot that you feel the most confident that you can hit. Right. And that was really difficult because all the shots that I knew I could hit wasn't really the shot that it called for. So I, I had a lot of, let's dig into that, Ev. Yeah. The shot that it was, so the shot that it called for from a full swing perspective, tell me if you agree, push back because you were there is usually going to be a lower, it's a lower knockdown shot. It's more club. Mm-hmm. And to do that in the, in the effort to run it up, right. Mm-hmm. And just keep it low. And then around the greens, now you're going to get into this. It's just a, a lower shot, right? It's, it's, yeah. a, it's an, an eight iron, nine iron versus a 56. Right. And right. Well, that's the theme, right. Versus what I'm comfortable with. And what I know what, how I play golf is making a full swing, hitting it higher and then hitting, you know, higher chips and pitches around the green. Cause I know that motion. Right. Is that right. where we're kind of at? Yeah. Now that doesn't mean I wasn't clubbing up and hitting lower shots, but sometimes you have, I had 120 yard downhill shot at Crail, one of the most iconic shots of the whole trip. And my, I was going to take out like a little light pitching wedge, try and fly to pitching wedge. He goes, Oh, you got to hit a seven. And I was like, hit a seven. And he's like, there's 30 to 40 mile power winds that goes left to right directly to the ocean. If you hit a wedge, even though you're playing the right yardage, it's going to get caught up in that wind and it's going to fly on the beach (laughs) from 120 yards. So you have to flight it that low. And so think about that of like, well, this is a 180, 170 yard club. How hard do I swing for this? It's, it's kind of hard to know what, how okay, much gas so, to give it, right? So what'd you, what'd you do? Did you listen to the I caddy? I hit the seven. Okay. I listened you to made... the caddy and I just swung really light and what actually I you... hit the right side of the green. Nice. Because yeah. then you're dealing with, yeah, like the, 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 the clock system. How far am I taking this club back? Right. right. That's right. what you're trying to figure out and still making right. like an assertive move. Right. So. And you know about me, I tend to hit better strikes when I'm going after it. And so that's a challenge as well of like, that's going to create more spin. That's not good for windy conditions. Really breezy, swing easy, right? That was a hard thing for me to commit to. So then you you mentioned short game, right? The short game is the best part of my game now. We've talked about it many times. Yep. This is why my scores were higher. Because I wasn't getting up and down hardly ever because every time I had a shot around the greens, I was trying to decide between what the shot called for and what I was comfortable with. And what I'm comfortable with is a 56 or a 60 flying it there and using my normal motion. So I kept going back and forth between do I really commit to the pitching wedge or an eight iron from the beginning and do I stick with it even though I have no touch with it I haven't practiced it maybe that was a mistake 
going in. Maybe I should have been practicing that more going in, but it's also tough because the grass is different. So you're not really practicing apples to apples. So I used a lot of 56s throughout the trip because I was trying to like, all right, this is the one part of my game I feel good with. Let me try and have some sort of feel, commitment, you know, familiarity. Looking back, I think I probably should have stuck with a nine iron or an eight iron. But what, what, what do you think was the toughest part? Was it, were you not making solid contact or just you're uh, picking a line on those pitches where you, the wind obviously is in play because you're pitching yes. your ball up. Yes. Um, and did you even think about the putter? Because talk I did about do that something you could commit to. Just yeah. take a whack at I was at doing it. that too. That's, but then you factor in, I, how many times have I hit a 40 yard, 30 yard putt, right? So I think factoring in wind, factoring in really tight, sandy lies, factoring in different green speeds, fast greens. I, I just wasn't getting, I, I couldn't quite find the right plan and the right touch where I was just leaving myself a lot of long, I was either really short or I was, I would kind of blow it past. Right. And yeah. I wasn't, I was, I was having a lot of bogeys in areas where is pretty straightforward up and down if it was back home. Right. I think what I'm taking from you, Evan, for our listeners is, you know, all you do is hear about, you know, you got to chip it and pitch it low, just get it on the ground running and you'll be fine. Yes. That's what you need to do but you need to practice it before it is a lot harder throw in the wind, throw in the unpredictability of the lies, the dry ground, the, humps and, bumps and, the humps and bumps of the green or before. And yeah, it is, it is, it's way more difficult than you think. Yeah. Okay. So I summed it up in my, in my notes here. So club selection type of shot line off the tee commitment, clarity on what I was going to do. I really had zero of that. And it kind of took me nine to 11 holes, almost every round to kind of breathe and settle down, settling in, reminding myself where I am. And I kind of had a wave. I would be very disoriented going into rounds. I would settle in towards the middle and then I would kind of make silly mistakes towards the end. So, yeah, I think, man, it just, I really had suck the 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 most hilarious crash course on what golf without commitment looks like because of the playing new course the conditions not knowing where i'm going not being comfortable with the shots that i needed like you can't play golf like that right so a lot of i think my misses just came from lack of clarity on what I was trying to do, which is in line with so many things of what we've heard on the show over the years. From a full swing perspective, Ev, where do you, where do you think you had the most trouble? Was it, was it par threes? Where were the bad holes? Like, and maybe we can kind of talk through that because I, I recently, I told you off air, I recently played in conditions like this and then throw on torrential downpour. And it was yeah. like a blast from the college days past. But I, ha I thought a lot about it for this conversation. So I'm just curious, was there a trend there? Was it the long par three? Was it the blind tee shot? You know, was it the short par four where don't know what club to hit? Yeah, it's tough. And you might say, well, there's a little bit of it all, right? Granted, yeah. you played nine rounds of golf, but, you know, 
I don't know if anything stuck out at you that you can kind of unpack. There's a little bit of everything in the sense of with par threes, you want to be precise on the type of shot you're playing. It was very hard to feel that because sometimes you have to commit of hitting 140 yard five iron and you just have to kind of embrace that. There's other times where you wish you had it again. I think that was mostly it. So I think a lot of blind, big undulation, needing to trust lines that in your head don't make a lot of sense. I think that's what gave me the biggest trouble because if I could step back and go again, just the the clarity of knowing what's on the other side of this hill or what's a little bit right of that pole, sometimes that this is the other thing too is I never thought of this before, but what is the right question to ask? Because to me, when someone says, where can't I go? Or maybe, maybe that's the right question instead of what's the line? Because I played with this guy named Stocky, who's a caddy at St. Andrews, who was amazing and got us on, on my birthday. We played together. He would sometimes say the line is that. And I'm like, yeah, but does he know that I have a big miss, right? Because, but it doesn't matter. Well, doesn't because, it though? Because that's the question of where am I going to miss it? Right. So, well, see, that's, I think the, because where don't you go? Away. Then it's like, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. I'm going to go there <laughs> instead of right. like, but you're right. It's the, the questions being asked is, is framing and is, is setting you up for success or maybe for the lack of success. Like, that, I think that's a big takeaway here in these elements and yeah. these conditions. I'm not asking the right, I'm not using the right language for me. Right. Well, yeah, that, that's the thing. Like maybe I was asking the question in the wrong way, not the ideal line, but Hey, if I play a, a fade, where would you hit this? Like what leaves room for my, uh, you know, cause at St. Andrews, you can aim a hundred miles left because you can miss left on pretty right. much all the, the holes. So, you know, sometimes that was a, a challenge for me. Sometimes I was thinking to myself, well, they don't know. Is that the ideal line or is that the line for a draw? Right. I think I was asking it in the wrong way. I think I needed to say like, where can't you go or where's the place to miss um, so that I can then decide my line knowing my tendencies where if I'm a lot of times people were giving me very specific lines of, the ideal line is to take it over that bunker and bring it back. And I'm like, well, that's not my shot shape, right? And then I have even more confusion and I don't want to ask a million questions on the tee because there's people behind us. I don't want to take long. So you see like all of this well, is- Well, this is where I'm going now. Did you, you said you were hitting the three wood pretty good going into the trip. Did you hit a lot of three woods? Was there moments where you're like, I just don't know where to go with the driver. I'm taking the three wood. Did you? So or that was another big learning for me was I think for the longest time, I saw the driver as my big mental hurdle, my big challenge. And I wanted the practice for this show and, and my own growth to be able to stare down a hole that calls for it and be able to do it. Right. Yeah. But what I've also learned is remember that thing we learned from Matt Kuchar? through Scott Langley. Do you remember yeah. that lesson where like, he just aims to the middle? The first he hits four or five a, holes. Yeah. yeah. He hits the club he's comfortable with and he doesn't start 
like playing aggressive until he understands where his game's at in competition after like four or five holes. I actually learned, I started to do this more. This was one of the bright spots. I'm glad you brought this up. Starting the round off with a three wood is actually a really great strategy for me because it, I have more confidence with it. It's a lower ball flight. So it's not going to get caught up in 40 mile power winds. Cause by the way, St. Andrews, Stocky joked to me, he goes, you're not going to like this wind if you hit it left to right, because we've got a 30 mile per hour crosswind for the whole entire front nine left to right. And that (laughs) is not easy when you already hit a high right shot. So I said, okay, I'm going to start off St. Andrews hitting three woods and I got around. Okay. Doing that. And then once I started to get loose and, and the wind changed a little bit and I started to feel more comfortable, then I could start to rip the driver more. Right. So I think that's actually a great lesson that I learned Yep, is ease in to your rounds. You're not, you're not. Well, it's a great lesson in general, but when you're in the the unpredictable across the world conditions that we've discussed today, give yourself some familiarity more than ever. And as you would say, the ball runs out there. You get that thing going, you can hit three woods as far as drivers. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, but it's especially because it's lower. So it might, it's not going to get, it's not like my driver's going very far there anyways. Oh yeah. I mean, way less spin, you know? Yeah. And using the ground, which is what you're right. supposed to do. So it sounds yeah. like, okay. So you did turn to the three wood a little bit at the same time, you know, looking for the right shot, trying to hit the driver, you know, it's an opportunity to do it. Um, but it sounds like just next time you go back, there's going to be, you're going to understand what it's like, what it's like to be on a tee box in Scotland, you know, on a, on a blind windy, blind shot, windy day guy says this, you're going to have Evan's plan as opposed to maybe dissecting what everybody was saying so much. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing I'll say about wind Tara kind of said this to me, um, which I thought was funny and it's so true. It's, it's the definition of disorienting is wind um, because <clears throat> you can't hear people you kind of get this like buzzing in your ears and your head that if you're just in that kind of wind for four or five hours, it can really just, it's a lot. It can really drain you. And it's really exhausting. You know, you can, it kind of calls for a solid shot. You want to swing light, right? But the body wants to muscle it. And then the funny thing about having a calm day, I had one calmer day, at least for one nine was at Cruden Bay. I started, it was sunny no wind. And then it's easy to fall into a mental trap there too, of like, well, this is my chance, right? This is my chance to have calm conditions. And I think all of it comes back to just attachment to outcome. Yeah. Thinking that anything changes about my experience. If I tell people I shot a 75 somewhere like, yeah, that'd be cool to tell people that I finally figured it out. I had my aha moment, but that's not what golf is. You have an aha moment. And then a week later, you are trying to figure something else out. So I think that was an, I, yeah, another good takeaway of like, you just got to take it in. You have to accept everything that gets presented to you. You have to embrace the challenge and you got to try and find something. You have to find clarity in as many places as you can. 
You have to find clarity with the type of shots you're going to hit. You have to have clarity with a certain fairway finder you have to have. You have to have clarity with the shots you're going to play around the green. You have to have clarity with the type of swings you're going to play, the clubs, some distances. You have to have clarity on what direction you're going. I had zero clarity and for nine rounds. Yeah. And it was a really great crash course on just playing without commitment. And that's the opposite of how you play good golf. So I hope a lot of people can learn um, yeah. from this experience. Cause to me, it's so eye-opening. It's so eye-opening. I'm probably going to play golf differently when I come home. Well, I, I think, yeah. I mean, I think what, what I would say from playing in bad conditions recently, and then obviously my whole life, you're going to be okay. When you just say to yourself, what's the easiest shot here? You cannot be trying to hit great shots. Now you might say that for golf in general, but like, there's just, not, like there's, just so, there's just not opportunity for it. And I was playing recently in a, <laughs> in a rainstorm and 30 mile power winds, whatever. And like the par th- the par threes, be 180 yards. And I got in trouble when I'd say, when I'm really focused on trying to hit this, trying to hit the screen. And I, that's when, you know, you pull it a little bit and then the wind takes it and you're 20 yards left of the green make double when the, the, the great, the good holes were, I'm just going to try to run this up. I'm just going to try to right. leave the, leave this short. The, but you the, know what so else, sir? The expectations are the, the, the it's just different. Right. Yeah. And, those are the trappings you fall into. Like, you know, I'm just going to try to hit easy little shots, you know, totally. The other great takeaway too, is I got into the trap of, there was a little bit of a burden of trying to figure out where I am and what I'm doing versus embracing the fun of hitting shots. I never hit anywhere else. Right. Right. So that, that example of like, I'm just going to run it up. Sometimes it's so funny. I just realized the shots that I had them, finally have commitment or shots that I decided to hit a shot I've never hit before. And I said, I don't even need to look at the yardage. This is so windy. I'm going to hit a four iron and I'm going to, I'm going to like basically pitch this hundred percent, put it back in your stance. Yeah. And just see Three what happens. Turn, boom. And okay. those ended up being some of my best shots. So that's a really great reminder. Right. It's just, and, and putting and chipping is so difficult. I mean, in those green reading it, was also really difficult. We didn't talk about that. I couldn't figure out the greens. It's just, it, it's just tough because <laughs> how can I commit to wind factoring into my putt? That right. is so, I give the, the Scots so much but, credit. How do I factor in wind to, to green reading? It was so difficult. It's all these things. Like you're going back to the basics from this experience, because what do they say? At the end of the day, speed's more important than line. Because there's going to be days, there's going to be rounds, there's going to be, you're going to be in parts of the world where I just can't quite read it like I normally do, but I'm going to focus on speed and I'm going to get a lot of, I'm going to have a lot of two putts. Yeah. But you get caught up in the, <laughs> you get caught up. Why can't I figure this out by round seven? Right. <laughs> right. I think you, but it's just, so, it's just so different. So this is, you know, this is, this is a great, uh, this is a great look back and breakdown. And I think listeners are going to take a lot from this Ev, because you li- you've lived it out in Scotland, you know, Yeah, <laughs> you truly live these conditions. Like it's, it's a part of you, you know? Yeah. Well, I hope everybody got a lot from this. This was fun for me to go back and do. And I think I've learned so much mostly of what not to do, but sometimes that's the best way to learn. I, I will say I didn't let you guys down. I didn't let myself down because despite my human moments, 
of feeling like, what the hell are you doing? Like we've, you know, like you're in the middle of the fairway, you make a bonehead move. You don't know something's there. You try and muscle it when you don't need to. And you get in a spot, you make double or, or whatever. I had so many of those. What the hell are you doing? But I will tell you, I also took it in and I appreciated it. And I, I really was grateful and I saw the best golf in the world. And I really, it was so special. What you've been able to do this past month is some of the coolest golf trips experiences that anybody will ever have. Right. And we're going to need to get you with me. hundred percent. So we're going to cover more of this. I think this is a little bit of the beginning. we got a lot of fun stuff coming from your trip for our first chipping away of Ev's Scottish adventures. I thought this was pretty good. I thought yeah. this was pretty good. So, and one sign off guys, one thing I've been working on in between all this golf and various stuff is I'm working on some of the best merch drops we've ever had. The ball marker. I just sent you the final design is by far the coolest ball marker I've ever seen. I am obsessed with ball markers. I have this terrible habit of trying to get a ball marker at every place. And I've started to realize like, it's just too much. It's weighing down my bag. So now I'm more selective. Too much but pasta, too many ball markers. Yeah. Too many okay. ball markers. So now I've realized we finally designed the only ball marker worth having, and it will inspire you during your round. And also it's stainless steel and it's badass. It's a cut of unlike any ball marker. No ball marker has been cut like this. And so we're going to launch it soon. We're also got a big wave of hats coming. So go to the partrain.com, enter your email into our newsletter, join our mailing list. It's totally free and you'll get first access to these merchandise drops and a newsletter we send out every Monday. It's one little thought or tip or insight based on things that we've learned. So hop aboard the partrain.com, our mailing list, and you'll get first access to that. Thank you for taking me through this, sir. Yeah, um, this is great. This was a this was a blast. I hope people, you know, got a lot out of it. I know I did. It's great. Effort. All right. So what do they got to do, sir? No matter how hard that wind's blowing, if they got rain, if they don't know where the hell to go, if they're playing shots they're not used to, what do they got to do? Take more club, swing easy, and enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care.